You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor and filmmaker here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. Hope you guys are doing well, staying safe and sane, and I hope you guys are rested and having a great Asian Heritage Month. If you can't tell by my voice, I am exhausted, so I'm sorry I sound like a cheese grater right now. This is all I got. I love you. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, I really just want to take a nap or like 18 of them. Also, my allergies are really bad, so I might have to stop and sneeze or you guys probably won't hear that. I'll have Marvin, you know, <clears throat> protect your ears. But anyway, I hope you guys are doing great. Um, and welcome back to season four. Hope you're enjoying it so far. I don't know if guys if you guys have checked it out, but we're on YouTube now. I don't know how I like did not mention those things very well in the last couple episodes. But yeah, we're on YouTube. If you want to watch this live, you can. You'll watch it sans this intro and outro. We're still figuring out the format. I don't know what's happening. I'm doing the best I can, and we're just going with it. I think, honestly, it's a it's a wonder that they exist online because it took me this many years to even like consider doing video. I was telling it to my friend, like, I didn't want to do video. I made a podcast so I don't have to do video. I wanted to do audio only. And yet here we are. People change. People grow. I, at times, cannot, like, stand the thought or side of my face. And that's why I didn't want to even, like, think of doing the video thing. But again, we're here. I'm promoting it. I'm working on it. I'm embracing myself. It can be a totally different experience just watching facial expressions and all that. And considering who is speaking with me today, I think that's just, I'm so glad for my own sake that I have this in the archives, like in my life archives, that I have this video recorded for the rest of my life, that my children eventually can see this. Again, that's if I have my nephews and nieces, because they do exist. Um, They can all watch this in perpetuity. It's pretty great. Um, Life is short. Just do it. Go yellow. Just do it. Anywho's it's this week, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I took a suggestion from a couple people that suggested that instead of me being the person interviewing or like speaking with a guest that I turn into the guest of one of the episodes. So in that, I was like, oh, that'd be an entertaining episode. I don't know how that would go. I don't know what I'd be asked. I don't know what I would say, but I'm down. And of course, the person that I thought of, you know, that I feel safe with, that I feel open and that I have really good time with was my girl Priska. Priska is a singer-songwriter. She's also the co-host of the Two Horny Goats podcast. She is a regular guest here on First of All. She is one of the funniest, most like thoughtful and eloquent people that I know. She has a really amazing ability to bring like life out of me. I could be the flattest, dullest, like, you know, wet mop on the floor. And whenever she's around me, I suddenly like come to life. So I thought it'd just be fun for us to sit down and chat together didn't know what she would be asking me. I was not prepped and just got to sit down and talk with her. So this is like a really wonderful stepping into main character energy episode. 
as I was prefacing this with, even the idea of like having my own YouTube channel, having my face on YouTube was like a very daunting thing. And it's funny because I'm an actor, but like an actor is a different mindset because that's playing a character and you're doing a script and there are things that are scripted and edited and prepared. This one's just like really us and our friendship and me answering honest questions as honestly as I possibly can. So it's very vulnerable in a different way. Um, And one of the themes that I'm really working on embodying for this year in 2023 onward, and honestly, in all these previous years, but really furthering that is being the main character. All these sound bites to me at times, like when they get used over and over again, they become a bit cliche and like trite. And it just feels like I get I I personally, this is just my personal, I, I can roll my eyes at things really easily. Usually when I say them, so when I hear from other people, no, it's like 50-50. But anyways, it was, but we wanted to embrace, like, let's stop rolling our eyes and like, let's just entertain. What if I really do step into main character energy? What if I am the star of the show? I own it. Um, I'm okay with attention. I'm okay with being, you know, the centerpiece. And there's so many ways that I run away from it and hide and do it and then regret it and like overanalyze it, overthink it and obsess about it and critique myself. This is my exposure therapy, if you will, to keep doing that. I've done that a lot of different times on this show, but this is definitely a different format. So I'm really excited that I got to do this with Prisca. I hope you guys get something great out of it. I don't know what you will, you know, derive, who knows. And also in light of this, I actually thought about doing another one where it's like, getting questions from audience and then answering that. And that can range um, from being like completely silly and funny and et cetera. So it it, it broke a dam, if you will. So <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy this uh, episode. Thank you to Prisca for being an amazing friend, a, a fantastic co-host and interviewer. And I hope you enjoy this episode of me stepping into my main character energy with Prisca. Enjoy. Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright eyed. They knew right away, sick of swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting the teeth on the move. Nobody's filling these shoes. What's up, first of all, listeners? Uh, yeah, no. You are probably expecting a slightly different voice, and I totally get it. It's a million dollar voice that you're used to listening to from none other than our girl, Minji. Well, right now, Minji is behind the curtain. She is ready to come up on to the stage, but I just wanted to kind of set it up. I'm Priska. I have known Minji for over a decade now, which is crazy because I swear we met like yesterday. Um, We met through the Asian American scene. As you know, Minji was creative director, director of collaboration. And ever since then, we have become very, very close friends. It is the honor of my life. I actually run a podcast called Two Horny Goats, uh, which you can listen to if you'd like. But that podcast would literally not exist without Minji and without First of All. As you know, she is the podcast queen, the genesis of so many Asian American things. Uh, I can't even begin to list all of her accomplishments. Um, But Minji asked me to come on today to interview her. And I was like, excuse me, what? Me? How? Why? Por qué? You know what I'm saying? But um, I've spent the past couple of weeks just prepping for this interview. I'm hyped up. I'm nervous. And I just want to let you all know, I asked Minji to come really open today because there's no story that she's experienced that she hasn't told on her pod because that's how transparent she is with you all. 
with, first of all, listeners, Minji, you guys are hearing everything from her straight from the source. But today we're going to be present and you might hear stories that you've heard. But that's what's beautiful about the art of conversation is we're going to come together and we might talk about the same things. But we've changed since those stories occurred and we're going to share things differently. So we're going to talk about it all and be present. I love this. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to bring Miss Menji Chang up to the stage. What's up, girl? What's up, Prisca? Thank you for being my interviewer today. This is very bizarre and wonderful and surreal and great. I know. It, it is It is strange. So how did you come up with this idea? I'm curious, like, what kind of, what is, what itch is this scratching? I actually, it wasn't my idea. It was an idea that I received and went with because I was like, oh, that'd be interesting because I would want to hear that. Say on the Europe, if you let me interview, I mean, however that would live. Um, I've already interviewed you a bit on my podcast, but um, <laughs> yes. our friend James, he like he thought, you know, you've shared so many stories of other people's lives and you shared your story in different ways. But like, would you ever let somebody interview you on your show so that they could get into Ooh. kind of the nooks and crannies of their questions that you may not have thought of or whatever? So it was just like a passing idea from, I think, like two years ago. And it's just yeah. sat there. And then I was like thinking of season four. We got to put some stuff together. I, th- I thought it'd be really fun. And of course, I thought of you because amazing. You bring out the truth wherever you go. Uh, I feel so honored. And I know we could literally talk for hours. So I wasn't even worried about that. Um, but I was like, wow, there is so much about Minji that I know, but I don't know. You know what I mean? These things, these facts I know about you, these conversations that we've had. But I'd love to hear them straight from the horse's mouth. You know what I mean? And straight from like your perspective. And okay, so I was there when, first of all, was just a seed of an idea. I remember you were over at my apartment in Mar Vista and you were like, I'm thinking of start. This is why I'm thinking of starting a podcast and it's going to be called First of All. And we were rolling on the couch laughing. I don't know if you remember this. Yes, I do. It's coming back now. Yes. And you were telling me, I remember because at the time, I think we were both more active in what we were doing and also like more salty. I don't know. Maybe we're saltier now, but we were very like, oh, we were salty. salty in a very specific way. Yeah. I'm fermented at this point. I mean, you know, right. We're done. We're done bubbling. <laughs> but at the time, it, a lot of what you wanted to talk about was to vent about shit in the industry and our community that was important to talk about. P- things that people weren't talking about yet that was happening around you. But what's crazy is I feel like, first of all, has become it has morphed into something different than what the inception was. It's become an amazing record of our community when there's been films that have come out, when there's been companies that have been formed, when there's been events that have occurred that you're bringing experts experts on to talk about. Um, you know, it's this amazing record of, of five, six years of our Asian American community kind of around the country, which is ex- extremely amazing. But it's also like a collection of intimate personal thoughts and experiences. You've shared your breakups, your makeups, your career highs, your career lows, your worst dates, your biggest achievements, your like heartbreaks. So I wanted to ask you just kind of like bringing it back to just talking about, first of all, before we dig into the Minji Chang, what was like the most intimidating thing about having to interview people at length when you started the pod? I think uh, my my life experience in terms of like professional stuff, I've done a good amount of hosting actually Mm. 
for a while. And then like, I was the, um, you know, the leadership geek in high school. So I was doing public speaking. I was like talking with folks. I, I had bits and pieces that I had been like practicing, if you will. Um, after college, I worked in public health. And so I was actually working in domestic violence prevention. And that was actually my first foray into like professionally doing public speaking in front of groups and things like that. So like the settings were always kind of like in a hosting or MC manner. And it was like facilitating mm-hmm. stuff. We did like webinars. This is back in the day where like webinars were a thing. It's like pre Zoom. Yeah. It's all just phone dial in <laughs> and like we're going to have a whole ass conversation. Dial in. Mm-hmm. Stop. Wow. That just With a code. With a code. <laughs> um, I used to host those when I was like in my early 20s. So like those are facilitated slash like public speaking type gigs. And I do like emceeing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like when I wanted to put my Oprah hat on, if you will. that's like really it's more intimate it's more like I didn't want to ask stupid questions I didn't want to I didn't want to waste their time that's like I think Mm -hmm. we we joked about like the people please the people pleasing uh really really rampant in my existence of like yes not wanting to be a burden and if somebody's going to take the time to like share anything with me I don't want it to be boring I don't want it to be you know just like that they walk away feeling like, why did I just do that? That was so stupid and a waste of time in life. Right. So that's yeah. the biggest intimidating thing. And I knew that there's like a through line, like we'll be able to warm up to each other. And I had some level yeah. of confidence that like, I'm genuinely curious about people and whoever I'm inviting to be interviewed. I really want to know them. So I hope that that mm-hmm. reads. And I was just using that as a little flirtation oh, device. I was like, I hope that, I hope that I can just cling on to dear life. And like, that will carry me through this conversation. I mean, I feel like one of my favorite things about you as a a friend and a person is that you're so fearless. You're I feel like in a way that is so positive, you're a leap and the net will appear kind of person, you know. (laughs) But was there a particular person that came on, like especially in that first year? Because you had some big fucking names, especially in your first two years of hosting. I mean, I mean, and since then. But I remember when you were coming on and it was like, Ronnie Chang or whoever it was like these huge names who were you really nervous about talking to like who actually kept you up a little bit at night well yeah that's I love I kind of appreciate that I am a that that scares and uh empowers me like I'm a jump (laughs) and the net will appear person I was really nervous about talking with Ronnie it's funny that you mentioned I was like okay okay because Because it's like, it's funny. I've gotten to talk and meet so many different celebrities because of my work mm-hmm. with collaboration and yes. a lot of different people in really high levels of power. And thankfully that has like kind of normalized them. I mean, like they're all human beings. And I think that's also been like a good asset of mine to have that I can like, remember these are just people and just talk to them like they're a human being. They have yeah allergies and they have... <laughs> They take a dump in the morning. Yeah, they they like they they have beverage preference. I don't know, but they're like they're a person just like we are. So don't make too big too big of a deal, and that that settles everything. Settles me, and it settles the conversation. But with Ronnie, Mm -hmm. because like Mm -hmm. I really admire his work, and because Mm -hmm. you know he's not the first famous person that I met, but I genuinely think Ronnie, you're gonna go ahead and get a big head. Um, but Ronnie, <laughs> I think is, is highly intelligent. Like his level of comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I know from my love and respect for comedians that like, you can't be that funny and stupid. Like he's really right. smart. And yes. I knew and they from, will catch you on the outs. Exactly. If you're not keeping up. 
Exactly. Yeah. And there's people that will be really, really, um, you know, like they'll be so gentle and kind. But, and I don't think Ronnie's like a mean person in any way. He's like one of the kindest no. people I've met. But and we we're still like befriending because we'd met in Austin because of the crazy rich Asian stuff that I was mm-hmm. doing. Um, but just sitting one on one with him and it was in person and it was in New York. It was like oh, his, it was IRL. Yeah, it was IRL in in New York, in Manhattan, in um, in like his his territory, you know. So I was just uh, like, yeah, yeah. Hi, can we Hi. talk? Can we have a conversation? So I just, I was afraid of looking stupid. And again, being a giant waste of his time, he was like taking time out of his busy life to like meet me in person to record this. Right. And it couldn't have gotten better. Like, because he was just like schooling me on American politics and like, what the oh, wow. I know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Get the, get the guy from Australia. To yeah. Us, to tell us like how, how, what a dumpster fire. I mean, in. the rest of the world knows American politics so much better, but I feel like that's such a, it's actually such a strength because I think if maybe you were leading with like your ego, you would be like, I need to match how smart he is. And it can almost become defensive. But I feel like what you were able to do was like, yeah, school me. Let's go. Because sometimes that's what hosting is. If you're allowing your guests to shine. You know? Absolutely. That's that was the biggest lesson I think I was learning out of, first of all, because it was like a different segment of media entertainment that's different than all the other work that I've done. So yeah. I had to I had to like pull stuff from all my different experiences and kind of reintegrate them into like, how do I want to approach the show? Because it's going to mm. be people like Ronnie and it's like my mom and my mom's right. You know, like, I, I don't know how to treat her on a show. Like, I mean, she's famous in her own right, but maybe not in the way that like society would deem, you know, but I think that's what is so um, addicting about your show is that you never know, except when I was helping you produce for those few months, you never know who's on next. You never know who's on deck. Sometimes you have lawyers, you have financial, like, you know, experts, you have act like real celebrities from like CW celebrities to like big movie celebrities, you know, and you're always the same person. You're always grounded in who you are. So we can read the situation and the people through how you react. Um, but I do want to ask you, like, who's your, um, first of all, white whale? Like, who have you been dying and let's just manifest and put this out like into the universe and hopefully with it, it finds its way into their inbox and we get them. I, well, now it's changed because before it was, you saw, well, we have our vision board posse. Um, mm-hmm. I had, I had Miss Brown, Miss Brene Brown on there. Just, I just to <gasps> thank her, you know, face to face, like of how much her work has helped me in my existence to like crystallize concepts and validate, you know, all the the things of vulnerability that we like try to run away from. And I'm an artist. So I'm like, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. always eager to be vulnerable, but still, even then I'm like running for the hills. So I love Brene. (laughs) It's like Brene, Barack, like Michelle Obama, like all, you know, like (laughs) those are just the bees, (laughs) just the bees. And like, I really admire them as human beings. Um, I think that their work is an extension of them as a person. It's not work for work. It's like work because that's what they know, what they want to do and what they want to contribute. Mm-hmm. And then they just went at it and they they went and did. So those people are for sure. Mm-hmm. But now it is expanded because I am so stupidly obsessed with TikTok. I want folks oh. like Elise Myers, like 
Elise, mm-hmm. I think, is such a what I love about TikTok, and I'm, you get I Prisca is on the receiving end of like <laughs> my love the of like TikTok barrage. Yeah. Yes, this one's today's. This um, one, yep, <laughs> like rain it in. Um, <laughs> it is the love language, but um, just like what TikTok does with its algorithm and with its like exposure to regular schmegular people, I yes. love to like Ugh. infinity and beyond. Yeah, I love that it's created like a different type of parasocial relationship. And speaking of parasocial relationships, how does it feel, Minji? Because like I said, this is like a collection of your personal essays, a collection of your personal diary over the past five, six years, um, this podcast. How does it feel to have so many people know about all these like intimate details? Because you share... You've shared about fertility. You've shared about, you know, family. You've shared about love. You've shared about hate. Um, what, like, what does that feel like? To have so many people know so many intimate details about your life. Now that uh, my life is changing, I think when mm-hmm. I first went into it, there was safety in knowing that I'm in the grand scheme of the, and still now, for God's sake, but like, the safety and anonymity. Like there was mm-hmm. a security blanket about that of like, nobody cares and nobody. Yeah. So if I share X, Y, or Z, it's like more, it feels more inconsequential. And to be honest, mm-hmm. like when these are recorded and we're not doing video or anything like that, it's so like, I'm just talking to a microphone. Um, yeah. And it felt therapeutic at the time to like, mm-hmm. just let it out. There's, I think that's something very human about us humans. Like, we want to be seen and heard. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. That's why the whole thing is like not about what you say. It's how you say it. It's not about what yeah. you did, but were you there to just receive and like listen, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much power in that. And I think I wanted a space where I could feel seen and heard, even if it's mm-hmm. to the ether. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So at that time, like when I was doing it, it felt scary to a degree, but it felt just I'm like talking to air. And mm-hmm. hopefully the intention was always like, I hope whoever needs to hear it will benefit from hearing it will hear it i'm very very Mm -hmm. woo woo we know this Mm -hmm. and i really (laughs) believe that things happen when they're supposed to happen and Mm. that there's kind of a condensation of time like what you can achieve within say a really effective podcast that's an hour long can Mm -hmm. do what maybe like 20 years of therapy couldn't do if it's coming from the right source right Mm -hmm. someone who like gets it so I think that was always my intention. And that whole like jump in the, the net will appear mentality. I was just like, mm-hmm. I have no idea who is going to reach if it will get big in any way. I mean, we're around so many influencers, Prisca, like, you, you know, like yeah. around people who have like literally millions, millions. of people in the world that know who yeah. they are. And then we're around people that have tens of people and it means different things to different people. I just cared like mm-hmm. if it can help somebody then hopefully like the way that I have been helped by artists and human beings that made themselves vulnerable, I'm following Mm -hmm. their lead and I'm Mm -hmm. going to take a leap to walk my talk and say, if it takes vulnerability and if it takes a risk, then I'm going to fucking do it. (laughs) I will hopefully let it be something good. And I feel like what's interesting is, you know, yeah, sure, we have friends that have thousands, millions, however many followers. But I think what you have is maybe something that's highly sought after. It's a captive audience. 
It's an audience that's following along, you know, um, kind of like literally like I was joking about this being your sitcom, but like it's in that way where it's following you over this long tail of time, seeing how you as a person, how your character has developed and changed. And has that kind of like have there been relationships or friendships that have been maybe shortcutted because they kind of come in and they they're like, OK, I know you talked about let's say freezing your eggs and I've been going through the same thing. And then you guys can talk three hours about a pretty personal, deep, intimate topic um, versus spending three hours, like, you know, breaking the ice, chit chatting about whatever. And then, you know, finally getting to something deep 15 minutes before you have to go. Is that something you've experienced? And is that a positive thing? Can it be a burden? You know, great question. Um, Oh, we get to skip the traffic and weather. Uh, <laughs> yes, I love talking about weather. I am no, I have no problem talking about the weather. Yeah. Yeah. Snow capped mountains outside of my so, snow capped. <laughs> what the hell is happening in LA? Climate change. Hail also, in LA. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Um, it, I overall appreciate it and enjoy it. And to actually further answer your previous question, it's unsettling at times now, now that I get yeah. data that like tells me more people listen to it. I've actually been very willfully ignorant to not look at data and, and numbers <laughs> um, yeah. because there's something frightening. And this is what I think I'm like realizing about myself, about life is like the truth is frightening. It's, it's, mm. The cold, hard facts can be really, really, I think most, a lot of people, including myself, like run away from it until we yeah. can't. And um then I get my Spotify wrapped link and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I have to look at it. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I want to get sponsorships. So I need to know how many people listen. And that like, so one time in the whole year, I looked at like, what were, what are my numbers? And so yeah. it, it was bigger than I thought. Um, mm -hmm. It's not as big as some other shows might be, but it was bigger than I expected. And so it was Again, a captive audience. I was on, it was unsettling because I was like, oh my God, I, what have I done? I've like yeah. all this like really personal stuff, but Again, I reference like there are other people that I respect and admire that have also done the same. So like if if they know like a too late, they already know, like, first of all, mm -hmm. what are you going to do about it? Like, you can't you can't yeah. uh, can't undo that. So just right. go with it. It's taught me the complete surrender and release of like just put it out in the universe and see what happens. And like and then mm. let it educate you of the next choice that you make. Like, do you want to share X, Y, Z or do you want to keep that private? Yeah. And like, and, and then listen and be in the moment and listen to your gut. If like, okay, all of a sudden this thing that you said, you didn't want to share, you feel this, like you feel emboldened to share it, then do it. Like it's right. really teaching me a lot of things weirdly, like how to be on that. But, um, I wonder if too, like, you know, I think let's say you're dating somebody new and they find out about the pod and they learn all these intimate details about you, but they still don't know you they have this information and data points how do you go about kind of setting up boundaries around that because I know that's literally happened to you <laughs> I've actually like the podcast thing is the last thing I don't share if I'm going on dates with people I completely mm -hmm. leave it out um mm -hmm. it happened on a dating app recently that <laughs> somebody they saw I put up a photo of me with a microphone because I'm a voice mm -hmm. actor like it's part of my life yes. I didn't say like I'm a podcaster but somebody <laughs> left me a note like with the heart saying like, by the way, I like listen to your show and it's amazing. Thank you for oh like, my gosh. creating. And I was like, 
oh my god this is weird it was very surreal um and so like this is how like Kenji and I started dating when he he like listened to the show right. we had met at Sundance and like knew each other as like yeah. in the Asian American community but he got to know me a little bit more by listening to my show it's it's flattering to a certain degree mm-hmm. and it's like but it's also like it feels like an unfair advantage <laughs> like you know all right. this about me and I don't know anything about you yeah yeah but I kind of don't like- tell people <laughs> I know. Or you're like dating someone. They're like, oh, is this going to be on the pod? And you're like, no. Or like, I've had, you know, there was somebody I dated <laughs> briefly last year who said like, you please don't put this on your show. And I was like, first of all, why would I? First of all, you what? Are you thinking special? No, that's mean. But like, but truly I was kind of like, okay, but there's nothing to like, really. <laughs> okay. Yes. But that's like learning the thing of like, people are really private and I want to be respectful Mm -hmm. of that. So to add to what you're saying, like if I'm volunteering to like put myself out there, and I think this is like a lesson for everybody who's like putting stuff online in general, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. people are watching and they're, they're going to be curious and it comes with its own set of liabilities. And like, just, we're going to keep learning lessons of like, okay, how do I want to proceed? Yeah. And it's, again, it's a weird thing because I feel very flattered and honored that anybody takes time to listen to the show. And I'm very curious, like, did it help you? Did you enjoy it? Or did you think it's trash? Right. I don't know. Like, give me a, <laughs> give me a live rating right now. Like, I don't yes. know. Um, but you, know, you would love one of those, like, oh God, I don't know, the like studio. The <laughs> like, press it as you go, you know, for, why did it drop to a four? Why? <laughs> Poor K. Um, I don't, what? Um, I guess, you know, I haven't been podcasting nearly as long as you have. Um, but I noticed for me, like, I think I had a lot of confidence issues in terms of saying the wrong thing or of coming across as unintelligent and speaking at length. You really can't hide very much about what you know about a subject. You can't fake it. Um, and so in that way, like, how has the pod kind of changed you and namely in like in the way you communicate with people? I think it's maybe a better listener. Mm. I think I'm still working on it. It's still an intention of mine to be more present because if I'm thinking too far ahead and I'm thinking of all the stuff that I planned out for a conversation, what have you, you know, you, you and I know we have show notes. We're like, (laughs) yeah, because we're, we're, we're trying to be a prepared queen here. And like, (laughs) Hey, Hey, just a little organization. It doesn't hurt. Actually, the world should know that Prisca has actually been a source of huge like Capricorn energy <laughs> organization up in this because I would just show up and wing it like all the time. <laughs> and we we support each other. And then you would show me all the stuff you do. And I was like, damn, girl, like respect, you know. So I was trying to get on your level. Um, but that could also turn into a, a way for me to like I'm like looking at the dock or you know what I mean? I'm just not like present. Yes. So I think that's the biggest thing, like teaching me to be present and to actually actively listen. It's really hard because yeah. I have a, we all have monkey brains and our monkey brains are very like primed and programmed and stimulated and overstimulated now to just yeah. like not be here, you know? Yes. Yeah. So that was I, a problem. <laughs> that I And I hear that. And, you know, speaking of kind of our monkey brains, our internal voice, I kind of want to take it back to young Minji, you know? Um, just take it back a little bit because I think knowing you and being friends with you, there are so many things to admire and there's so much that you've overcome. Like, and I think that is one of the things that 
you are so open about on your podcast. And I think it's actually like you talk about vulnerability. It's actually one of the hardest things to do is kind of admit, admit your points of weakness and admit, you know, all of these uh, less flattering sides of ourselves. It's very easy to just like code it, hide it, paint over it, never speak of it again, you know, and then you're that that is not how you roll, you know, and so I kind of want to know young Minji, what did your inner voice sound like? Like your internal dialogue? What do you remember it sounding like? Highly, highly, highly critical. She was. What are some things she would say? Yes. She was fearful, very fearful, scared. Scared is, Mm -hmm. I think, even more accurate than judgy. The fear would lead to judgment. Um, Just scared of doing the wrong thing, that Mm -hmm. I look stupid, that I did something wrong, that Mm -hmm. I um, wasn't enough, or like that somebody did something and they did it better, or they should have gotten with somebody who would do something better. And that started pretty early. Um, I think it does stem back to my father and he gets to like, he, like me doing this podcast is such a act of rebellion to my dad. And he just doesn't <laughs> like it, but I'm like, I'm learning my boundaries. Like, well, this is my life and this is what I want to volunteer. So yeah. unfortunately it's going to expose some parts of him. And I'm like dealing that's honestly a big theme of my life right now is to disconnect from familial like validation and invalidation, if you will. But being around somebody that harsh and that um, in its own way, like image conscious, I think his is rooted in like wanting to do the right thing. And I think that's respectable. Mm -hmm. It's not like just bad. You know, I don't look at Mm -hmm. anything, but I think it was just always examining and evaluating things. And that's the part of why I think I'm a bit tired from life on a regular basis (laughs) because my brain is always evaluating. Yeah. Always evaluating. Was that good enough? Did you do that? Were you kind enough or were you a dick or did that tone like, you know, Mm. or did you leave somebody out from the thing that you should have invited everybody to? Or did you, you know, and constantly casting doubt, questioning, gathering data points. Um, And even though I feel like you've grown and changed from when you were young, it sounds like a lot of how your dad spoke to you during that time combined with maybe your own like anxieties or whatnot created an inner voice that was very incessant. But also I know a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of times you'll talk about, uh, you know, when we're together is like your kind of dual self in your youth, especially adolescence, uh, during a time you went through a lot of shit, but you talk about like almost splitting yourself in two and having a good girl side that everyone wanted that, matched what your dad wanted that matched what your church folks wanted that matched maybe a part of what you wanted to be perceived as and this split kind of like personality of what I would call a more exploratory side but I think you've kind of called it like more wild or or whatever you know just more rebellious and and whatnot and even within yourself it was almost as if you didn't know the other side existed in certain ways like you had a compartment mentalization absolutely yeah and that was a definite like wow so eloquently put this is why prisca does everyone see and hear like how (laughs) 
God, no. this is you're just how? fascinating. How? how how are you this fascinating? That's no, what I, I, want I think all humans are fascinating because I think that whatever we're explaining and diving into within me, this is why yeah. I love living. The part of living that I love is to understand the universality of like everything mm-hmm. I'm feeling is yeah. 1000% within every other person around me. Um, and that's what makes me feel less alone. But then it also makes me feel like I'm a tiny droplet in this ocean of like insanity. Yeah. So it's all the things, right? It's everything everywhere yeah. all at once. Um, <laughs> I learned how to compartmentalize. And I do think that there's a result kind of being a third culture kid and like having mm-hmm. the two worlds. Like I can really differentiate even down to my names, right? Like mm-hmm. Christine was school and Christine mm-hmm. then became school and work like in the mm-hmm. white people world in like the government ID world. It was Christine wow. and in church and family. It was always Minji. And like, there are people in my life from a young age that didn't know that I existed as the other. There are people wow. in my church that did not know my name was Christine. And there's like all the people that knew me as Christine as a young person didn't know that I was Minji. Those are two different identities. So mm-hmm. I, I wondered a lot about even just the name thing of like the Asian name, yeah. how much that created this juggling act of constantly hopscotching between one identity to the yeah. other. Cause it kind of like, it kind of indicates who you're supposed to be in the moment. It, it kind of like an actor, actress, like if you're called the name of whatever role you're, you're cued in to becoming that character. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think there was a part of Minji that felt because it's the home life name and that identity I think that was the more creative side of me, the really sensitive side. Christine was always like the high performer. She was the straight A student. She was the one that's like, you know, just in in front of performing kind of like really performing yeah. in a different way for the world. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's really, I didn't even, <laughs> it's a lot of things so, are coming together right now. I'm I, know. I think that's so interesting because it sounds like, you know, I was kind of thinking, Okay, well, during adolescence, you're kind of a good girl and a wild girl. These are the two. But it sounds like your brain was already primed for this kind of duality from a young age just by the basis of your name. Yeah, for sure. That was definitely I think that was a like, a, yeah, like you said, like a, it, it was like an infrastructure. It was built that way. So, wow, I, I kind of I had been it's a muscle that didn't need to be exercised too much. I was already doing it. Yeah. And you were very used to. Con- not not necessarily like intentionally, but unintentionally, implicitly concealing one side of yourself from the other to wh- whomever's on either side. Exactly. It's it's like a it's a very specific code switching because like when I, I have stuff that I love as like a Korean American, right? Like the K-pop that I loved since I was in like fourth, fifth grade. It was very limited exposure that I would talk about that at school. I had a couple of friends mm-hmm. who are like Chinese American that like we're all in that universe together. But if I was at school, like it was all hip hop and R&B and like whatever's popular at that time. I didn't mention like this other obsessive. I was obsessed. No. Obsessed. Shit. Obsessed. Posters everywhere. Spent $15 on a freaking magazine just so that I could have photos of HOT, you know, at my disposal. Wow. But then you kind of knew they weren't going to relate to that or you were, you were afraid of that, like in some way. Yeah. It's an over explanation. I don't want to deal with like people raising their eyebrow and being like, what is that? Oh, they're dressed weird. Like, why is their hair like that? Why are they wearing fluffy overalls? Like this whole thing that I didn't, I didn't want judged or like examined. I was just like, we'll just leave that over here. 
Right. And if you want closer proximity to white people, this is not a thing that's going to help in your favor. I mean, growing up as like, you know, third culture kid, like second generation, it's kind of like your parents already have accents. Your parents are already different. And so you yourself wanting to align or like assimilate better uh, implicitly knew this wasn't going to help your cause. For sure. For sure. And like at that age, too, when you're at those ages where it's just like naturally the time where you want to fit in so much. You want to be mm-hmm. distinguishable because there is the popularity hierarchy, right? You do want to have things yes. that make you have some level of superiority compared to your peers mm-hmm. while also being completely indistinguishable. Like it's such a paradox existence. You want to be totally. like top of the food chain, but like invisible because if, if yeah. you're different, like God forbid, you know, you'll just die of shame. So, so this is like fascinating to me because like, uh, you know, I wrote these questions not knowing like where it was going to go. But when did you decide to kind of fully both personally and professionally, maybe not legally, but to go by Minji? It was college onward. In college is when everybody started calling me Minji. And okay. even though my name, you know, at, in, at in college was like Christine still. The social circles and everybody like in high school, I went to a really white high school and it's wild right now because I'm I'm going to out my age. But like I've already a billion times on my show, <laughs> like I'm planning my my 20th reunion right now. So wow. I am revisiting. I'm reconnecting with my high school friends. Um, yeah. And we have a committee and all that stuff. We're planning our 20th an- reunion. So Shit. it's weird. Like I'm stepping back into like they're calling me Christine and I'm distinguishing. And I was like, actually, I go by Minji now. I'm like oh it's, wow. this is literally right now as we speak in the last few weeks I've been like entering back into that space and so in Pleasanton like I was trippy. it is trippy like I didn't I, again I've just kind of moved forward with my life but now we're at this moment milestone where we have to like reverse and backtrack yeah. 20 years to go to this set yes. of people that knew you as this and they're like actually in, in a matter of 20 years I've changed a bit like <laughs> A little bit. I've changed a little bit. Sorry. Just a a tad. Just a tad. So it's every commercial you hear on TV. It's me. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I just tell you to buy products. It's me. (laughs) All the time. Hi. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, it's weird, but I think really college is when I kind of started to, it's that, it's that really good switch where you get to kind of redefine yourself and like say, oh, this is who I want to be now. And then really after college, it was just like, I'm not Christine anymore. It From was the at norm. worst though. Wow. So that's so, that's so fascinating. That's so fascinating. I think like establishing that you've always had this duality. And I know you joke that this is how you knew or became such a good actress because you had these distinct sides of yourself, you know? And I know during a very tough portion of like your high school adolescent life, um, you literally had this good girl side that like wild girl side. I don't want to use like negative terms because I don't personally think it was a negative thing. I think your environment coded it as very negative, you know, and your environment being so stringent probably drove you to have to repress a certain side of yourself. But I just want to talk about, and I love that you brought up Brene Brown. It's like, how big of a role did shame play in you kind of splitting off these two sides of yourself? I think shame had to do with like 90% of it, like having to hide things away. It's well, it's Mm. also fear of like what kind of severe it's shame. Maybe that's how it feels. 
realistically, mm-hmm. maybe it was also fear of like the consequences of like people knowing what was actually going on. Because what I was going through, truly, like when I look back in a very kind of like itemized way, when I look at it as just like facts of a storyline versus like things that I did and experienced, it's horrific. Yeah it's like truly horrific. And I, it's taken me years to like, look at it objectively like that. Cause I was constantly trying to rationalize and, or minimize, or like it was, it just had a skewed perception of what I actually went through. Yes. Um, and there are many years that I just continue to keep taking responsibility for stuff that I don't think I needed to take responsibility for. Cause I was a -hmm. child. Um, I think the older we get, sometimes the easier it is because we can actually look at ourselves as a child. Because like in your 20s, you're like, that was only like five, seven years ago. You know, I'm still me. But now like on this side of, you know, like being in our mid, late 30s, um, you know, whatever. (laughs) Terrifying. Um, But okay. Um, Being, you know, you're you're literally you could have you could have a daughter the age that you were right now. And I look at I look at all the, the amazing people I've gotten to meet and stuff through collaboration. So I'm always working with like college and young adult people, right? Like constantly oh. year round. So when I would, it'd be like such a reckoning and like looking at them in their youth and having such yeah. admiration for like all that they're doing and they're capable of and just see them full of life and like so smart, but then also being like the older I get, being very aware of how young they are. And they're 20, you know, I'm like, you yeah. are a baby. Yeah. And that not disrespectfully, but I'm like, wow, you have so much ahead of you and you're still learning so much and you're forming yourself. So then Mm -hmm. I like learned through over time and therapy and all that to apply that to myself. And I was like, Mindy, you're 14. You were like, Mm -hmm. you are genuinely a child. And so that has allowed me to like have less shame and more Mm -hmm. and more compassion for young Minji, because I just held myself accountable because what happened to me with having an older guy come into my life at 14 years old, where I thought I knew everything. <sighs> like I really yeah. just kept saying like, well, I knew it was bad. So I, it's my fault. Like everything that came after that, it's like, I have account, you know, because I want to be a good person that takes accountability. It's a murky area. It still gets like, you know, shifting. Like it's, it's tough to be definitive in a lot of ways for me still, And I can still say, like, I was a child that should not have happened to me. It was terrible. I would never want that to happen. And I would do everything to try to protect my daughter, anybody else's daughter, child, period, any human from being preyed upon like that. Because it was it was very it was very predatory. And I think that there's so much to excavate there because I was 14. I was an early bloomer. I Mm -hmm. had gone through puberty young. I was into boys from a really young age. I was familiar with that dynamic from a really young age. I was sexually curious. I lived in a world of like really conservative Christian upbringing where mm-hmm. anything related to, you know, it's like the whole watching a movie and yeah, purity kissing. culture. Yeah. They're kissing yes. and you have to cover your eyes. It's the opposite extreme of everything your hormones are telling you to do. And it's normal. It's normal for you to be horny at that age. It's so normal to want to explore, be touched, touch people like smell. I don't know, not smell things, but you know, it's so hardwired in us to be, to be curious about that. But having also grown up in a very strict conservative Christian background, it's so crazy what you're being, you're being asked, especially as women, uh, young burgeoning women to sanitize yourself. I I love that word sanitizing and like, you are the gatekeeper of like your purity, like that whole purity culture, like, and the amount that I know that 
um, men in my life have been like, I, this is also, I have a data set, right? I'm not all men. I get that, but like, I've heard from <laughs> enough dudes I've heard en- yes. from enough. And I've been privy to very intimate parts of a lot of different guys mm-hmm. to know I can say with a lot of confidence that at least in my generation, in our generation, that purity has mattered a whole lot. And it's yeah. not something that they're like, oh, well, let's, I don't know. I don't, I just have such distrust because again, for a lot of different reasons, I get exposed to people's like deep, dark secrets. Um, and I take that very seriously. I don't think it's like something small, but then that also leads, leads me to be able to say like that, what people say outwardly, this is why mm-hmm. maybe I like value the honesty part so much. And like, why I just want to say what I'm actually thinking versus like the cover, the cover, the cover, which I still cover on occasion. Um, mm-hmm when it, when it suits me and it protects me, but like, I know that so much of what people say and do is a cover and it's not what they actually think. And they're not going to sit there and like, tell them what their horniest fantasy is, but have have guys told me that when we're in an intimate relationship for hell? Yeah. I've heard a lot of intimate secrets. So I can say I call bullshit on a lot of things and I don't want to shame other people for that. I'm not shaming them for that. I'm just saying there is a gap between what a lot of yeah. people present, including myself, and mm-hmm. then what's actually going on in here. And I think like, I think that's what's so incredible is that because you've had this experience of being of splitting yourself in two for, by necessity of your upbringing and your your culture and your environment, you're able to you're able to view certain human beings in a very different way because you can see past a lot of the the fronting. You can see past a lot of what they're presenting to the world and you're, you're able to like hear the echoes of their other side, you know, and I feel that you offer a lot of people for better, or for worse, depending on how old you are and what the boundaries are. Um, uh, you've made a lot of people feel seen and you've made and once people feel seen, they'll unburden all these things they've been repressing and holding down onto you, you know, and, and that's kind of that's kind of intense. And, you know, one of the things like I, you know, on on Two Horny Goats, my co-host Roxy and I, we did an episode about sexual grooming. And, you know, it was something that I hadn't personally had a lot of experience with, but Roxy had. And she shared about it very intimately. But one of the things I I feel like I had to that really stood out to me was for her. She was 14, 15. And these older men were like into her entrusting her with all this information and she kept using language like but I was seducing them I was inviting them in I was in control in some way and like it's so interesting those power dynamics when you're dealing with literal minors talking to literal adult men you know and then recognizing that as a 14, 15 year old, no matter how confident you felt at the time, no matter how horny you were, no matter what you thought you were in control of, the power dynamic was never on your side. And that's confusing. And, and, and she, I feel like I was, you know, it was like she in her narrative and consciousness has been Roxy throughout. So who she is, is kind of the same lens that she viewed the world at that age but it's like no but you've aged you're a different age you're a different person um and that that's like that's so convoluted in in the mind you know and i hear 
some of what you're saying right now, it's like, it's so confusing. When did you have control? When did you not? When did you have autonomy? When did you not? When were you groomed? When were you not? You know, it's all of it. Absolutely. This is, I think what I will still, I probably till I am no longer inhabiting this body, it'll be something that fascinates me and worries me and inspires me about the human condition, which is why I love Mm. art. And it's been such a good way for me to understand characters and choices and all that stuff um, is how, how hypocritical we are as human beings, how paradoxical Mm. things, there are multiple things that coexist. And this has been an argument and this is not to be sexist, but like when I'm arguing with guys who, who tout themselves as being ultra logical and ultra, Mm. like I've many of those have been in my universe and (laughs) it's so dichotomous with them. It's so like it's Mm. this or that to me, from my experience and from my many different existences at different ages to like a lot of things are many things at one time. You can love and hate somebody at the same time. You can desire and be repulsed by the same person at the same time. You can be mm-hmm. horny and like what, like so many things. Right. And we mm-hmm. are, we are those many things. And so to try and I get it, it's, it's a, I think it's a worthy endeavor to try to like, to understand it and to simplify it. We are constantly trying to simplify as human beings. Cause I do think that there's time and place where you just need to have an answer. Was this mm. legal or illegal? Was this a, a yes. wise or foolish choice? And it's, it's needed for us to be able to discern those things. And then also at the same time, it's going to be a constant battle. Like we're going to maybe hopefully not be overthinking everything until the day we die, but like, we're going to have moments more often than not, where we're like, it wasn't that black and white clear. Yeah. And you know, I I just want to say just to break the fourth wall to the first of all listeners, having Minji as a friend is incredible because she is genuinely the most forgiving person I've ever met. And I think a lot of what we're talking about right now is living in the gray, living in the murkiness. And you are the first person to try to inhabit someone else's perspective almost to the point where it hurts you you know um but you are one of the most forgiving people that i've ever met and sometimes we'll literally have talks where i'm like why are you forgiving them like i'm not even ready for you to forgive them and you you know i think it makes sense given your personal journey given a lot of the things that you wrestle with given a lot of the things that you mull over um that you take data points that even if they don't serve your narrative, your side of the story, so to speak, you still use them as data points and you kind of make decisions according to that, even if it hurts your person, you know? So I wanted to ask you, like, who, like, how did you become so good at forgiveness? Like, who's the first person you remember having to actively forgive? Thank you. Sidebar, we, this is why for better or worse, the way that I am is why I have Prisca. <laughs> she, she protects, she protects me. She's I know, like, I'm such no. a bitch too. <laughs> like, why are Not you giving them? I'll kill them. No, no, no. Why? To no. healthy, healthy degrees, you know? I love it. No, I, I, it genuinely influences like, what would Prisca think? Okay, hold on. <laughs> it's good. It's a voice of reason. <laughs> Um, all the things, um, who have I genuinely had to forgive? 
Uh, probably first person that I've had to like deal with that. And on more than one occasion is my big brother. He hurt me a lot. Uh, and then like, and then it's like family. That's why family is such a big deal because you love them so much, like against yeah. your will and they yeah. hurt you more than anybody else could ever. Yep. Ever. They drive you crazy oh. on a regular basis. Like, but you love them. I would like hurt mm-hmm. people for my family, you know, but like do like, and, and we're still navigating that as adults, but like, I had to forgive my brother because yeah. he would be mean to me, make fun of me and he would hurt my feelings and he'd physically hurt me and like put me in danger in some ways. <laughs> and just casual sibling shit. Yeah. Like oh, oh, a railroad track. Why don't you go and see them? No. Um, so yeah, I think he was actually one of the first people I had to learn how to forgive. Well, because I was commanded to. We had to, we were commanded by our parents to forgive each other all the time. Like, say sorry. And then, you know. <laughs> so that was, but that was, you know, within this like family structure. And so there are rules that were established. So that was kind of different than like having to forgive somebody that is just like a complete stranger third party that like waltzes into your life, causes some damage, and then you have to like forgive. Yeah. But knowing a little bit about your relationship with your brother, as you're saying this, I'm like, I feel like it was such a gift. I mean, and I'm sure it's like a lot messier than this and whatnot, but it was such a gift for him to have your forgiveness because it has allowed for the two of you to have a very rich and layered relationship now. And and you can't have forgiveness without an appropriate apology. And so I think that has to come together. But I really do think like if that's like one of the first people you remember actively forgiving, that makes a lot of sense to me because from that moment that you were able to kind of like allow him, I don't know, back into your good graces and, and, and to trust him again and to, um, you know, continue more than just a sibling friend, uh, a sibling relationship, but a real like friendship, mentorship, you know, confidant, all these things. It's one of the most, I know, rewarding relationships of your life to this day, no matter how fucking frustrated you guys get with each other. And so I can see why forgiveness kind of has reaped, you've reaped benefits from it. Yeah, for sure. I think, and because I, I've been made aware in various ways over my lifetime of my imperfections. (laughs) That actually was when I was five and I reconnected with that friend recently, but that was like a freaking kick to the ass, man. When I found out when I was five years old that I'm bossy. (laughs) (laughs) And we can't use that word no more, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, she, it was over Barbies or something, but she was like, oh, she said this to, not even directly to my face. I love you, Davina. You're my dearest. I love you so much. Um, <laughs> she told a cousin, John, I remember this clear as day. Cause it's just like stabbed my heart, but she, <sighs> John relayed the information. He's like, oh, well, she said that you're bossy. So she doesn't want to like share X, Y, Z with you. And I was like, like the negativity, like what? And so having that ah. like, truth in my face, which I knew pretty instantaneously, like, yeah, I am. Like it wasn't like a, <laughs> there wasn't much of a defense. I was like, oh shit, I've been found out. Um, oh my gosh! Because when it came to the Barbies, man, like I wanted a very specific, you know, play you situation. An and I mean, come on, you were the middle child and the only girl in your household. Like I know your younger brother's a lot younger, but still, you had to guard everything in your domain 
with a ferocity that not not I didn't have to. I mean, I was, you know, three girls. It was and oldest. Different. And you that's a different burden for sure. Yeah. We we've talked about that. And I have so much respect because yeah, watching the oldest, like the many oldest friends that I have in my life, it's it's a lot. <laughs> At that time, I was the younger one. I was the baby. So I was hella You were the spoiled. baby. I was hella spoiled. Oh, I see. So to that, okay. I, gave, I gave my parents crap because I heard yes. not only this scenario, but I saw in my friend John, Jonathan, and his fifth birthday, it was all when I was five, my God. Yes. His fifth birthday, I'm like sitting next to him critiquing his presence. I'm just like- yeah. My brother already has that. Like the only video that I have, as far as I know, of me as a child, because we didn't have a video camera- Yes. We, I saw this when I was in my 20s at some point. We're like, revisiting oh, no. Him, and they showed it to me. And I was like, oh, I'm a what a little shit. I was like, <laughs> and then I turned to my mom and I was like, how could you let me talk like that? <laughs> She's like, you were you were you. What were we going to do? But, you know, I think I think it shows that you've had intelligence at a young age. And, you know. I I feel like you had leadership qualities at a young age and it's very clear. Yes. No, I, I you know, OK, great. You were like, you know, a shitty kid who kind of grew up. You know what I mean? But sometimes you you need to learn how to channel your intelligence, need to learn to channel that bossy energy into being a boss bitch, you know, uh, which you have done. And, I you know, I literally have so many questions, um, but I, I feel like we we've we've gone into a lot of time, which is crazy because I feel like we can keep talking for the next seven hours. But one thing I wanted to bring up, and it's kind of a funny segue because of your last kind of telling of, of, of things of you as a child. But from when I met you to who you are today, I love and am living for you kind of leaning into your main character energy. And this is what I mean by that. And I, I think, first of all, folks, you've seen the transformation in slow drips over the five, six years that you've been running, first of all, right? Your listeners have seen and felt a certain amount of difference. Um, but when I met you, you were 100% other than emceeing certain events, you were behind the scenes. You were behind the scenes, you were running shit, you were, you know, people were answering to you, but you were not really on screen a ton. You weren't really in front of the, you were not the talent a ton. Not that you didn't have talent, but you were not the talent. And then slowly over the years, it's been absolutely insane, Minji. And all y'all listeners, half of our friendship is me like being like, Minji, but do you know how much you've done? Like, can we just sit back and like, I know you want to do 10,000 new things and like you're hard on yourself because you're not doing all of them yet. But can, hold on, hold on. Can we just sit here and recognize how much you've done? That's literally half of our friendship. But um, you went from doing more acting, like you've always taken classes, but to, to pursuing that more, like literally, you kind of stepped back from some of your kind of like behind the scenes duties you have found this crazy career in voiceover work in which you are literally a million dollar voice and you know and and then from that to shift to almost going full circle behind the scenes but in a still in a leadership way but in a creative forward way where you're now a director and a writer so you've literally gone from like creating space for artists to now fully inhabiting each like kind of tier of the artist totem pole. And that's why yelled. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Main character 
energy. How does it feel just like even just sitting in this moment right now, just like reflecting on that? How does it feel like what are you what are you feeling right now? Flattered and so honored and loved and seen. And I love you. Um, I'm a How Leo. are you owning it? I'm a Leo moon, everyone. I, I This is where I live. Like a, it, um, I've always been performing since I was little. Mm-hmm. And I had feedback since I was little that I had talent to offer. Um, yep. And I would always rationalize it, even from a young age that, oh, it's contextual. It's just because like the other kids don't like acting as much that I seem better because they don't memorize lines as easily as I do. Right. I remember thinking this when I was like six years old. Wow. Um, and getting really mad when I was seven and like being like, why don't you guys know your lines? Um, yes. So I've always had that part in me. I also think it's like um, I, I have so many interests. So it was, it was a mix of like the shyness and being socially awkward and being in- insecure for sure. Like having that in, yeah. in buckets and buckets within me, but also being like, no, but I, I want to, I want to plan all the things and I want to be producer of the thing, you know, like I would kind of go where my heart led at the time. And if it like yeah. helped me stay away from my insecure stuff, which is like, I don't want to be on stage. I do, but I don't. So I'll yes. just be over here and shine. Um, it was a way to deflect too. So right now, um, I feel grounded. I feel mm-hmm. anxious and like anticipating things because there's stuff that I know is going to happen that I cannot share with the world yet. Then I'm like, oh, it, it feels surreal because it's not out in the world yet, but I know it's coming. So there's like that anticipating feeling mm-hmm. of like there's stuff coming um, that I know and I don't know what will happen after that. Um, and in general, I kind of feel relieved because yeah. there's stuff that I've resented a bit and gotten really frustrated and accepted. Like I, at the end of the day, don't have anyone to have control that except myself. Um, and I feel at home. Mm. I feel like, I feel like at home because, and I think there was layers of like shame and fear around owning that. I want to also be talent. I think it yeah. felt more comfortable and more admirable or whatever, more respectable, mm-hmm. all these things that like my parents really value and that I value too, to a large degree. It felt more like, yeah, just like more praiseworthy to be somebody that's like, look, not saying, look at me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's hard too. I think let's not discount how hard it is when you are known in the community as one thing and known to the industry as one thing, which primarily to SoCal's Asian American community, you were leader of collaboration. You were creating a ton of space, doing conferences. You were great at like hosting these great events, putting on events. That's what you were known as. And you would talk. And I remember even like being talent and you were so um, deferential in a way that now knowing everything about you, I'm like, oh my God, you really sidelined yourself. But let's not diminish how hard it is to unknit yourself from that role, to then step in and be like, actually, I'm going to begin asserting myself. That's really difficult because it's very, honestly, once you have a certain role in the community, it's very comfortable. And it's comfortable for you and it's comfortable for other people, to be honest. They like that you're in this spot relocated to whatever side you perform a certain utility for them. They can love you and appreciate you um, or, you know, or 
take you for granted in the same way every year over and over. And to step outside of that and to own, again, this main character energy, which definitely needs to be the title of this podcast. And I'm realizing you're literally putting yourself in the center of this podcast today being interviewed because you know why? Because main main character fucking energy girl you know what i'm saying boop, 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 boop. main character energy boop, 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 boop. duracell boop, 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 boop. sponsor the podcast boop, 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 boop. you know what i'm saying but literally you you overrode the status quo you overrode what was expected and you chased after things that you've had in you innately desires you've had in you for so long um, and finally allowed yourself to like live authentically. And honestly, I've seen your entire transition from, you know, that previous Minji to this one. And when you said grounded, I was like, yes. And I spend a ton of time with you. And there is no masking here. First of all, listeners, that is 100% true. There is a groundedness. There is a peacefulness. There is an owning it. Um, and I, okay, I know we kind of have to wrap this up. I have like a thousand questions about spiritual journey, but we're going to have to do that in another episode because I'm here for exactly the main character living her main character life. And that sometimes does not mean being on the mic. You know what I'm saying? So future Minji, what are you, what, what are you excited for in this next year and in this next decade? Let's those two questions. I know they span, but talk to me. What are you optimistic about? I am optimistic about the risks I'm going to take. Because. (laughs) Is that not fucking main main character energy shit? Come on, let's go. (laughs) I think um, being being the, the academic that I was, I think I. I didn't want to ever assert myself without knowing that I'd done some level of work to earn it. Now that's a very problematic statement to say sometimes like I I really truly believe that being a human being and existing, there's an, an inherent worthiness that we all have to pursue and have what we want. Obviously I hope that is rooted, rooted in like integrity and authenticity and not harming other people because the not doing those things like by, willing to squash other people and to willing to sabotage yourself and to betray self and betray others in many different ways. I think it tarnishes that worthiness. It doesn't take it away, but it adds like a fuck ton of like mud and like crap that you have to like deal with in order to like access that worthiness again. So I just don't think it makes it go away, but it, it creates barriers. So I think like the work that I've done and I've been humbled in a lot of ways that I think were really important for me mm. to be in a place to receive what I will receive to believe like truly not just like think it and know it as a concept and like in my in in all the beautiful things that I subscribe to um mm-hmm. it's different to know and I say this to like people I love and to you it's like we can know it here but to like know it in our head we can know it but it, to know it in mm-hmm. our heart to feel even that shred of like worthiness and that hope that you can like actually yeah. get what you want. That's kind of, you can't, you can't just walk, you know, jump out of bed one day and like feel that sometimes you just have, for me, I've been doing my homework. Basically. I feel like yeah. there's times where I've shown up and I can bullshit and I can improv and I can totally get away with it. This sure. one, I feel like I've been doing the homework. I've, 
I've read the book. I've read the pages. You know, I did, yes. I, I did the practice quizzes. So like, wow. I'm not walking in trying to pull stuff out of my butt anymore. That doesn't, mm. it's not that vibe. It's a vibe of like, I've, I've cried and wept and screamed and sweat and, you know, laughed and done all the things to kind of like get to a place where I'm like, I'm willing to bet on myself. I'm willing to like, at yeah. least try and to stop and to start loving myself more than I criticize myself. Cause maybe the inner mm. critics never going to go away fine, but then at least we can balance that out with some more love, with some more encouragement. And to yeah. do that from a truthful place is taken years. That's wow. why I feel like I was like, all right. And honestly, mortality, like to be totally honest, like my parents, like getting older, all of us getting older, like being in our, mm. in our later thirties, it's very obvious to me on a daily basis that time is time is precious. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm. it. It's not like I know it. Oh, like, yeah, we're getting old. No, it's like, I feel it. And if wow. not now, when, you know, like go. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, when you have a bag of M&Ms, you don't really appreciate them until you're down to your last five. You know, we're not down to our last five, but scarcity creates value. And I think that understanding of time being like a finite resource for ourselves and also the people we love it definitely changes our behavior. And, you know, what you said first, like, I think what's beautiful is that you trust yourself. Like, I don't think the goal is for any of us to become perfect. If that were the case, like, we might as well fucking give up, you know? But I think what it is, it's like learning that I trust myself and whatever comes my way, I'm going to be there and I'm going to tackle it from all the lessons that I've learned and am learning. And I'm going to approach it with, the compassion, the wisdom that I possess. And I think that in and of itself is beautiful. And Minji, final question for you. Tell the, tell the first of all listeners, what stories are you aching to tell? Oh, what stories am I aching to tell? It's the truth. <laughs> the truth. Um, I holy shit. I have spent time as an actor and just to really pay attention to what I like. And this is like the response to Priska's wonderful. I like I can I also need to just get gas up Priska that she is to have a friend who is so willing to provoke. Like, and I mean that in the most like you don't you provoke me in like the ways that I need, Priska. Like you don't mm. you love me. I know you love me because the way you <laughs> deliver and how you deliver, like. You ask me questions that are not easy, but Mm. like, you know, that my heart and my life and like from practical to like soul level that I will benefit from. And maybe Mm. like you, you do it with such care and such love. So I'm able to receive something that's not easy to digest, but like Mm. it provokes growth. And that's, that is so much more valuable than like somebody who is always a yes person. You're also like mm. like a huge cheerleader. And I know I can count it. Like I have a win. Holy, like. I'm going to hype you forever, girl. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> she'll have the glitter bombs ready. Like it's insane. <laughs> but like, I think I've I've honed in on like what I love. For example, like Prisca loves. Um, Kelly Murphy. I'm sorry. Kelly Murphy. Sorry, my husband, my husband. Her husband, Kelly Murphy. And like, she's like into the Peaky Blinders world. And she's into uh, Lord <laughs> of the, the Rings. Rings. Like, and I love that for her. It is not my cup of tea. And like, before I felt obliged, like I need to like what everyone else is like. And in the last few Uh, years, 
I'm getting is like, what do I like? I yes. like 90s films. I love rom-coms. I love hardcore dramas that are not set in some fantastical world. I just, I'm not into the sci-fi fantasy world. It's, it's really been refreshing for me to release. Like, I don't have to like those things. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. That's what I love about being a millennial, honestly, because we have created entire careers out of um, comfort nostalgia. You know, we can all create our little corner of that because what you found nostalgic, I guarantee you, because we were uh, living in the age that we lived in where there was still a mainstream and you could proliferate ideas through the internet as well, that we have these maybe like seven or eight primary pillars that each of us like millennials could fall under. And I think there is, I think exactly that leaning into exactly what you love and exactly what you're excited to see and creating that because there's going to be a fucking audience. You know what I'm saying? 100%. And I've also like, even in the world that I'm not that big of a fan of, like, for example, Warm Bodies will forever be yeah. in my heart because I hate zombie films. I watched so many <laughs> zombie films with my ex because he was obsessed with them. I hated them. But Warm Bodies, Nicholas Holt, first of all. Yep. And it was Romeo first and Juliet. It's Romeo and Juliet in zombie format. It was like such a delight to watch Warm Bodies. And it's like a zombie movie that I'm like, ew, never. But I loved. So it's Holy kind of shit. like- there's ways for things to innovate and there's ways for creativity to like create a new genre or to take an old genre and like make it palatable make it to new. like an audience that you didn't know. And that's what I also love about art. So why restrict myself to say, oh, I love rom-coms and like family dramas, but like it would never yeah. reach so-and-so. How do I know? That's not for me to Who decide, knows? you know? Yeah. So the yeah. stories I want to tell, I think I love romance. I love <laughs> comedy. I love, I have a very vulgar, raunchy comedy side to me, but I also want to do it from like a female perspective. And the stories that I yes. want to tell when I say the truth is the truth about the feminine experience, the female ah. experience, the woman experience, because I have just really on a data level realized Your how much is not making her come. I'm just kidding. It just, yeah. Like, let's, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a service really. It's a, it's a, yes. it's a, it's a, it's a service to educate. Cause like, I'm sorry if I was like a straight, whatever, if I'm on the other side of that, I'd want to know, like, you want to know, get the data point. Yeah. How to achieve your, your, the outcome you're seeking the goal, how yeah. to get your goals. So to yeah. me, I just realized from data, like we've been, we've been fed the narrative from a largely male perspective. Some of them are wonderful and they're not all, you know, part of the patriarchy and some of them are, and there's been yeah. a lot of that. And I, I have appreciated what I can appreciate and I will continue to appreciate yes. what I can appreciate. Also, let's add some different voices because we can Thank all you. benefit. We can all benefit. Thank you. Um, well, all I can say is that you got Minji Chang films coming to a theater near you, to Vimeo near you, to a streaming platform near you. Like it's coming. It's all in the pipeline. And um, you've only begun to scratch the surface of what you're going to accomplish as a storyteller, as a director, as an actress, as a voiceover artist, as a podcaster, all these things like you're it's all in service of storytelling. And I love that your Instagram bio is basically like storyteller because that's what you're in the business of. I just want to thank you, Minji, for being so forthright, for being so honest. And thank you for being on your podcast. Thank you for hosting my podcast, Krista. I love you so much. I love you so much. And I'm going to hand 
Um, first of all, I'm going to hand the mic back to Minji. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity. If you want to learn more about me, who is uh, Prisca, if you forgot, uh, I host a podcast called Two Horny Goats with my best friend, Roxy She, And we get up to all the nonsense, you know? So uh, I, 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 I said it at the beginning, but I cannot, now that like I feel like we're switching back to you being the host of this show, I just have to tell you, that your show has sparked the existence of so many other shows and uh, in terms of podcasts. And we are very fortunate and lucky that you were such a pioneer and you continue to lead the charge and carry the torch. And thank you for that. Thank you, Prisca. Thank you for Mindy Chang. <laughs> Prisca, <laughs> no seriously and go go check out two horny goats because it's not only hilarious like your guys humor <laughs> melts my brain of like how much i laugh out loud but it's also incredibly deep and this is i'm thankful that you said that i feel very honored because that's the i guess to set also the intention of all the stories i want to tell it's not just tell the truth it's the truth so that it can free other people that's the intention everyone needs to have a space for their story their perspective, their being to be seen, understood, cared for, appreciated. And I know that I benefited off everybody else who made other stuff that made me feel like, oh, maybe I can say something and it freaking matters. And I think these are great ways for us to keep paying it forward. So go check out Two Horny Goats for the love of God. You will not regret it. Uh, Five out of five stars would recommend to a friend. It's like um, we've become an Asian American hive mind, like cordyceps. We're all connected. We feel we we feed off each other. We feed to each other, and we inform each other. And we're also different. That's what I love about it because yes, we're so different, and we need these unique voices. Like preach, yes. Okay, I love so you. We'll wrap this show up. Thank you, Prisca, and thank you for thank you, Manji, joining us in this episode of First of All. Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All. Stepping into main character energy, an interview between Prisca and myself. Thank you, Prisca, for being such a great interviewer. I had no idea what was going to be asked, but of course, she just came just full force with the eloquence and the depth, and it was it was amazing. Thank you for making this such a safe space, and I love you. Um, you guys got to check out Two Horny Goats. Prisca uh, co-hosts that with Roxy She. guys got a little taste of it today with our interview and uh yeah it's good times deep conversations hilarious commentary it's so good find two horny goats on all of the podcast platforms and uh you can follow prisca at prisca music we'll have links to everything in the description so go feel free to check it out highly recommend 10 out of 10 um i also feel so open now and now i feel encouraged to do more like ama type things i don't know Something like sillier too, because we got really deep today, which is great. Love it. Y'all know this. But um, just random stuff. Maybe I'll do something like that. We'll see. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, feel free to go to firstofallpod.com. There's links to Patreon, etc. Thank you to my Patreon patrons for all the support over the years at this point. Um, helping conversations like this exist it's because of you guys. So I really appreciate it. Thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you to Tong Kim for being my producer for season four. I love you so much. And I'm so proud of you. Congrats on wrapping up Bamboo and Glass and contributing to the podcast conversation for young women, young women of color. 
I just love and respect it and admire you so much. And I'm proud that you're on this team and we get to work together. So congrats, Tan. Love you. And thank you and love you. Huge hugs and kisses to Juliana Deer, uh, who's my social media manager and makes me look somewhat legit out in the interwebs because I, I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> but if you'd like to get in touch, feel free to follow along on Instagram. First of all, pod. My personal page is Minjeezy. Email me at firstofallpod at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And our intro music is provided by Uzuhan, of course, with Uzu Trap. Gotta love the whistle and the just welcoming into the episode. And our outro is, of course, we had to do Prisca because we love her and we want to hear her beautiful voice. It is a Prisca and Aber Beats cover of High Risk Travel. Hope you guys enjoy it. Have a great week. Take care of yourselves. Oh, sidebar, last thing. Check out our YouTube channel if you want to see, if you want to watch the interview between Frisco and me, it's also available. Again, links are down below. But yeah, again, in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Be good to yourselves. Be good to others. And I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 